Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. When we get a sentimental view of Christmas, we miss the fact that the incarnation was the first step toward the crucifixion. See, we can't separate these two things. You know, at Christmas, we almost want to just not talk about the crucifixion and all that. That's Good Friday. No, the reality is the incarnation is the first step toward the crucifixion. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian begins a special Christmas message. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, in a message titled, Christmas, God's Great Rescue Mission. Now, here's Pastor Brian. As I was thinking about a Christmas message, I was just kind of thinking about, you know, maybe just somehow kind of a different take on it or a different angle. You know, every year as a, as a pastor, as a teacher, preacher, you know, every year when you come to Christmas, it's like, okay, yes, Christmas, this is, you know, this is the text, these are the messages. And so creative's probably not the best word, but you know, you want, you want something that's sometimes a little, little fresh or you know, something a little different. So anyway, as I was thinking about that, it just came to my mind somehow. I don't even know how the thought originally got there. But just to think of Christmas in terms of a rescue mission, Because that's really what it is, if you think about it. Christmas really is God's great rescue mission. So as I I thought about that, I thought, yeah, that's that's the way I want to approach it today. And I want to look at it from that angle. So that's how we're going to look at Christmas today. God's great rescue mission. Now, we all know that to the culture at large, the true meaning of Christmas is almost totally lost. As a matter of fact, surveys, recent surveys tell us that more and more people are disconnecting Christmas from any religious significance. So they're celebrating Christmas, but for them, it's it's not a religious holiday at all. In one uh, survey that was taken, 57% of people recognize that there is some spiritual religious component to it, but the the rest of people don't even acknowledge that. So I think it's safe to say that just culturally speaking, for most people, Christmas is about getting new things, spending time with family and friends. You know, it's the holidays, but it's not significant religiously. Now, Of course, we can kind of understand that. That's just the way the world is, right? But even among believers, the true meaning of Christmas can often be obscured. So in other words, I think that even as believers, we have to stop and and take a fresh look at Christmas sometimes because even for us, even though we're not losing the religious significance of it, we just can sort of reduce it to you know, like a good Sunday school story, the baby in the manger and the animals gathered around and all of that. And it's all so sweet 
And um, yet there's, there's so much more to it than that. So as I said, Christmas is really God's great rescue mission. And so let's look at it from that point of view. And the first thing that I want to say about this is that the mission was absolutely essential. So the biblical teaching regarding our situation as as human beings is that we are in a predicament that we have no way of getting ourselves out of. So our predicament is one of, the Bible describes it in different ways. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. That, that's bad. We're spiritually blind and living in spiritual and moral darkness. We are under the dominion of the devil. We're under the authority of Satan. So this is the, this is the condition of humanity according to the scripture. And the problem is we have no way of delivering ourselves from this. So if there's going to be deliverance, it's, we're going to have to be rescued. Somebody from the outside is going to have to come in. And, and that is exactly what the story of Christmas is about. Paul Tripp said this. Paul Tripp is a writer. Uh, he said, sin is so disastrous and inescapable that the only solution was for God to come and rescue us. And that, that's really an accurate picture of what the case is. Because, of course, being dead in our trespasses and sins, that indicates right there, being dead, we, there's nothing we can do for ourselves. Being blind indicates that we don't even realize the state that we're in. And that is absolutely true. Apart from the spirit dealing with us and convicting us, we don't even realize how lost we are. We don't even realize that we are held captive by Satan. Uh, remember the, the Christmas song, God rest ye merry gentlemen, that Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to free us all from Satan's power. We don't even realize we're under the power of Satan quite often. We're, we're blind to that. We don't recognize our actual state. We don't even realize the predicament that we are in. So if anything is going to change, it's going to have to come from the outside. The mission was absolutely necessary to change our uh, status. So second thing is that the mission was planned. Now, I want you to think with me about like a, a rescue mission. Now, a rescue mission is something that there, there's going to be a plan. There's going to be a strategy, and especially this kind of a res rescue mission, because we're not talking about like a search and rescue, like you've got people lost in the forest or something like that, which of course is a dangerous situation and would need preparation. But this is more, what the picture that we need to see is more of a group of hostages. We are in a place of having been taken hostage and we're being held captive. So there needs to be a plan. Did you know that the Bible says that this plan was actually conceived before the world was ever even created? So before the world was ever created, God already knew what was going to happen. He knew that there was going to have to be a rescue, and he planned for it. The New Testament tells us in a couple of places that Jesus Christ is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. 
but we get some insight in the passage that we read to the fact that there was a plan because Matthew says that the things that were happening there, the things that unfolded that he records regarding Joseph and Mary and so forth, he said these things happened that it might be fulfilled, which was written by the prophet Isaiah. So 700 years before the birth of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah told the people of Israel that there would come a time when the Lord uh, would give to Israel a sign, and the sign would be this, that the virgin would conceive and bear a son, and his name would be called Emmanuel. Now, Matthew not only tells us that Isaiah prophesied this, but if you jump over to the second chapter and just read the first few verses, uh, there he quotes Micah, another prophet, a contemporary of Isaiah, who tells us the place where all of this is going to transpire, that Bethlehem is the place from which the Messiah will come. So you, Bethlehem, though you're little among the, the thousands of villages in Judah, yet out of you is to come the one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from eternity. So we see that this mission was planned out and it was foretold in advance the things that would be done. We also need to understand that the mission, like a mission of this nature, the mission was, was costly. There would be costs to those involved in the mission. Now, I want to mainly focus on the cost to the father and the cost of the son, but I think we need to also include the other players in this mission, and, and that would be the two people that we read about in the passage. It would be Mary and Joseph. And for Mary and Joseph, there was a cost. Now, Mary, the cost to her was really her reputation. Now think of it, Mary was a young girl, she was engaged, and, and in that day and age, she was actually what's called betrothed, which is, it's more than an engagement. It's kind of a, a place between engagement and marriage, uh, but it was a legal contract. So if you were to break a, a betrothal, then it required a legal transaction. So this is where she's at in this relationship with Joseph. They're moving toward the final wedding and the consummation of the wedding and all of that. And, and it's as she's in that place that the angel Gabriel appears to her and tells her that she is going to supernaturally conceive a child and she's going to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah that a virgin is going to conceive and, and bear a son. Now, think about what that meant for her personally. Because although she did understand, and, and she said it in Luke's gospel, the, what we call the Magnificent, she did understand that future generations would call her blessed. You know, in her lifetime, that was not the case. Throughout the rest of Mary's life, there was a cloud of suspicion that hung over her, that somehow she was unfaithful to Joseph, that cloud hung over her because, of course, Jesus wasn't even accepted as the Messiah. So that would have been uh, the price that Mary uh, would pay, but Joseph would pay a price as well. It would be the price of his own comfort. 
I mean, you know, here's a man who's betrothed to this woman and he's loves her and he's convinced that they're to be together. And all of a sudden she comes to him and says, I'm pregnant and I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Now, listen, those two would have probably understood this just like we would today. They probably were both like, what? You know, when the angel came to Mary and said, you know, told her that she was going to be that instrument, I am certain that Mary didn't go, oh, right, Isaiah 7, 14. Yeah, that's it. The virgin bearing a child. Okay, that's me. Mary didn't do that, I'm sure, because at the time, they didn't really understand those prophecies. They were there. But by this time, nobody really knew exactly what that was going to mean. So for Mary, this would have been perplexing. And we know she was perplexed because as we read the fuller account with Luke, uh, Mary's like, well, how is this going to happen? It doesn't, doesn't make any sense. And so think of Mary going to Joseph and saying, um, well, Joseph, you know, uh, I'm pregnant um, by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph would have thought, that's crazy. What do you mean you're pregnant by the Holy Spirit? And he did think that because the text tells us that, that Joseph thought, okay, that's the end of that. But he really cared about Mary. So what was he doing? He was looking for a way to, to put her away privately so he didn't make a public spectacle of her. So his, his intention was to put her away. In other words, when Mary came and told Joseph the news about being pregnant by the Holy Spirit, Joseph didn't buy it. He didn't believe it. But then, as we read in the story, it was the angel that appeared to him in the dream that told him that these things were actually the case. And so it was then that Joseph embraced it. But my point is the mission was costly. And imagine the discomfort that it caused to Joseph, not just at the time, but of course, this would have gone on throughout the remainder of their lives. But it was also costly to the more immediate people involved and God the Father would be one of them. Now, we don't really understand the, the relationship, the eternal relationship between the Father and the Son. That is, I think, it's just beyond our ability to comprehend that. But obviously, there's, there's something there that is going to change. And the Father is going to send his Son into the world. And this is going to be at a, a great cost to him. And, and like I said, just exactly what that really looks like, ultimately, we don't know. But if you think of just how Jesus was received, if you think of just how Jesus was treated, he was rejected, he was despised, he was mocked, he was spurned. In other words, all of these experiences that, that Jesus underwent, the father had to observe the rejection of his son. So here's a, this is a great cost, not to mention whatever the cost would have been for the heavenly realm itself. But then there's also a cost for the son. And the cost for the son is that the son who exists with God eternally as God, in the form of God, as Paul puts it to the Philippians, he's going to now take upon himself human nature. 
And that human nature is not a temporary arrangement. It is now a permanent situation. So the son is giving up his exclusive deity and he's adding to his deity humanity. Now, let's understand, Jesus never became less than God. He retained his full deity, but he added something to it that previously wasn't there. He added human nature to it. And again, this is a difficult thing for us to understand, but it certainly indicates that this was a step down for Jesus. This cost him something. And this is what Paul describes in Philippians chapter two, when he says concerning Christ, that he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He didn't cling to those prerogatives, but he humbled himself and he became of no reputation. He took upon himself the form of a servant. He condescended, he stepped down. So in a, in a sense, there was an element of his glory that changed when he became a person, when he became a human being. So the mission was costly. The mission was dangerous, even deadly. And again, if, if we think in terms of a rescue mission, saving hostages from hostile captors, that's what's happening here. So it's a dangerous mission. The incarnation, sometimes we forget. And this is what I was sort of talking about earlier. When we get a sentimental view of Christmas, we miss the fact that the incarnation was the first step toward the crucifixion. See, we can't separate these two things. You know, at Christmas, we almost want to just not talk about the crucifixion and all that. But, I mean, that's Good Friday. That's, that's Easter. We'll talk about that in April. But, you know, it's December right now. Let's just talk about Christmas. Let's talk about the baby and the manger and, oh, how sweet, you know, and all of that. That's what I mean, like a sentimental view of it. No, the, the reality is the incarnation is the first step toward the crucifixion. Jesus comes on this rescue mission, and in order to rescue us, he is going to have to give his own life in exchange for ours. That's how the rescue is going to take place. So we see it's a dangerous mission. We see it's really ultimately a deadly mission. In 1976, it was July 4th, actually, 1976, the Israeli Defense Forces, they liberated 102 Israeli and Jewish victims of a terrorist hijacking. A number of terrorists had, had hijacked the Air France Flight 139, and they had flown that hijacked plane to Entebbe, Uganda. And they were given safe haven there by Idi Amin, the Ugandan uh, dictator. And the whole ordeal was about releasing terrorists from Israeli prisons, and that's what they were seeking to gain. And they had these hostages. They were threatening to kill the hostages. So what ended up happening is the Israeli defense forces, they sent out a rescue mission and they pulled off one of the greatest rescue missions in modern times. They saved 102 out of 106 of these captives, of these hostages. But in the course of this, so 
the operation was originally called Operation Entebbe because it took place in, in, in Entebbe, Uganda. But it later became known as Operation Jonathan. And the reason it was renamed Operation Jonathan was because Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Netanyahu, who was the, the leader of the force that went in to liberate the people, he was killed in the attempt. He was the only one that died of the forces in the battle. He's the older brother of Benjamin Netanyahu. But that is an example of a fairly modern rescue mission that shows us that these are dangerous and even deadly kinds of missions. And that is the mission that Jesus came on. And he knew it in advance. He knew that the mission would be dangerous. He knew that it would actually be deadly. He knew that the manger was the first stop on the way to the cross. But he did it because of his love for us. And that brings us to the fifth point, that the mission was personal. See, the mission was personal. Now, going back to that, and by the way, that rescue mission there in Entebbe, that was made into a film called The Raid on Entebbe. If you've never seen that film, it's a, it's a really thrilling, thrilling film. And it's, it's one of those sitting on the edge of your seat, biting your fingernails kind of a thing. And the really painful part of it is it just seems like it, it just, you know, everything was done and sealed and everybody was liberated and they were on their way out. And it was just right at the very end that Jonathan is killed. And it's one of those things where you're just like, oh, no, you know, it just that just didn't seem like it should have happened. But but these these men, of course, went into this knowing the danger, but they did it out of duty. Now, for the rescue mission that we're talking about, you know, this was more than a duty. This was really a family matter. And that's what we need to see. This is a personal thing. You see, because mankind is created in the image of God. And we are, in that sense, we are the children of God. I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but when you read the genealogy of Jesus that's found in Luke's gospel. Unlike Matthew's gospel, Matthew's gospel's genealogy takes us back as far as Abraham, but Luke's gospel takes us all the way back to Adam. And, and Luke's gospel says this, it says that Seth was the son of Adam. So that's the, the son that they connect Adam with. Seth was the son of Adam. Adam was the son of God what it says in Luke. Adam was the son of God, showing that humanity is, is God's, we're, we're God's children. We're God's offspring. So in a sense, it would be like the father in sending Jesus. We can actually say this, that the Christmas story is really the story of the father sending the older brother to rescue the other children who have been abducted and who are being held captive by their tormentors. That's, that's a biblical way of understanding this. And now let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. A great book that I recently read was the book called Finding the Right Hills to Die On. 
And this is written by a young man named Gavin Ortland. And he is a brilliant writer. And this book deals with the subject of Christian unity. It just seems like so often we're divided up over theological issues. And many times we are dividing over things that don't really matter in the big picture. And so the title kind of indicates that, finding the right hills to die on. We don't want to die on every hill. There are certain things, obviously, we need to stand and fight for certain essential doctrines. So this book kind of puts in perspective what the priorities are. And so I highly recommend Finding the Right Hills to Die On by Gavin Ortland. Again, this month's resource is a book titled Finding the Right Hills to Die On by Gavin Ortland. You can order the book Finding the Right Hills to Die On by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it, and then click on the Donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, Finding the Right Hills to Die On by Gavin Ortland. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we conclude our two-part special message titled, Christmas, God's Great Rescue Mission. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.